This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host of The Takeout. I'm also the creator of it. So this week is going to be about the Winter Olympics. It's not going to be a medal count show, folks. It's not a sports show. It's a show about diplomacy. It's going to be a travel log. It's going to be like, what is it? to be in Beijing near, somewhat near, the Winter Olympic events and all the things going around it. Political, diplomatic, oh yeah, a little bit of sports. And we're doing that with Jamie Yukas, one of my beloved colleagues at CBS News. Jamie Yukas has become kind of the go-to person when (laughs) Olympics come around. And she's in Beijing. So, Jamie, it's great to have you. One thing to the audience, I want you to understand, you're streaming it on CBS News. You're listening on podcast platforms, all the great radio stations around the country, Sirius XM, POTUS 124. we got about a three-and-a-half-second delay. So, Jamie and I are going to navigate that as best we can. But if it's a little jarring at times, just live with it, people. That's why you're here. You live with me. You live with the show. Jamie, it's good to talk to you. So good to talk to you, Major. Yes, it is going to be a little tricky, but we're going we're gonna to get through it together. I just know we will. First things first, Jamie, who is traveling with you and your CBS crew? The people traveling with me, I have photojournalist Randy Schmidt, who's usually based in Tokyo, who I got to meet actually during the Tokyo Games, uh, was a little bit different of a bubble there. So 14 days away from Randy, then got to meet him uh, once we were out of that quarantine. So he's here with me on the ground here in Beijing. And then we have Jack Renault, And you know Jack. Jack's been with CBS for quite some time. I don't want to say how many years. I don't want to put him on the spot. But um, I feel very privileged to be with two just extreme professionals um, doing the best we can to navigate the Beijing games. But um, two, of the, two of the best and brightest at CBS are with me. You just said the key phrase, Jamie, navigate the winter games in Beijing. On a basic level, tell our audience what it's like to try to navigate coverage of this multi-varied, multi-event, multinational story. Well, I hope you'll let me back up a little bit because really the coverage of this for us started weeks before we even came. And Jack, you know, had to take a lot of phone calls from me, very anxious, very nervous, uh, as well as my therapist, Cynthia, took a lot of phone calls from me because there was some conversation about if we tested positive for COVID uh, once Omicron came about, that there's the potential that once we got on the ground based on the level of testing, even if we had cleared uh, the virus from the testing in the United States, that the level of testing 
testing here in China was going to be higher, we could potentially test positive again, have to go into isolation and go through that whole rigmarole to try to get out and do our coverage. So um, really, we as a team had a lockdown several weeks before we even came to the Olympic Games. And I will tell you, I was surprised once we got on the ground, we kept hearing that story over and over again from a number of athletes who said, you know, we didn't even have holidays with our families. We started hearing about Omicron. We locked down. It was isolating. It's, it was really kind of a head trip for a while of, of you know, a guessing game of, of am I even going to get into the bubble? Uh, so once we got on the ground here, you know, you had to have a lot of uh, different paperwork. We did two different tests before we left. Uh, there were no flights from North America. So we actually had to go through Paris, France in order to get into Beijing. Some, some of the other crews went through Hong Kong and other sites. Um, across the world, but there were no direct flights from the United States. Many people said, why are you going that direction? You're going the wrong direction. You're west already. Keep going. Uh, but that's why uh, China had locked some of that down as well because of their COVID procedures. So once we got into the bubble, um, the navigation is interesting because we are in a closed loop. So people keep sending me restaurant recommendations. Please stop. They look amazing. I can't get out of the loop. Um, we, we take a bus from our hotel into the workspace, which is here. I'm at the media center right now. I can come here. The media center, I can go to different sporting venues and watch some of the sporting venues. Um, you have to wear your, your KN95 and N95. The only reason I don't have mine on right now is because I'm talking to you. Uh, we get tested every single day. It's a throat swab here in Beijing. Um, you know, those results come back uh, sometime in the afternoon. If we don't hear from anybody, we're clear. We keep going. Um, but really, it's been interesting because you have to kind of navigate the transportation system here. Um, being in a closed loop, there's actually three different sites. There's Beijing and then there's two mountain sites where the skiing and snowboarding and all those types of events are going on. You have to take train systems up there. You board from a completely different platform. They keep you separated from anyone in the general public. We even have traffic lanes here dedicated strictly to the buses and taxis. And the one interesting thing I want to tell you about that that we read in our playbook is that if for some reason there is an accident with the general population of China with our bus or taxi, the Chinese population is supposed to stay very far away from us. It says, you like, don't help them, basically. Let, let emergency crews get on scene because they do not want to have any spread between these games and the rest of the population of China when it comes to COVID. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, Jamie, but I'm going to start. You said don't send any more restaurant recommendations. Well, if you do, that's all for future reference. But Okay, basically, how do you eat three three squares a day? So if anybody is following along on my Instagram, uh, I have started this thing called What's Today at the Buffet. It's kind of taken on a little life of its own. I started in Tokyo during the Tokyo Games. I had uh, these breakfast box reveals that I did because we were fed in the morning. They would deliver box breakfast to our room. Here, it is a buffet. Uh, which sounds like, oh, wow, you're in the bubble. It must be back to normal. But when you go down, uh, you have to give your room number for contact tracing that you actually came to the restaurant. Uh, then you sit down. There's plexiglass. So we even as a team of three, if we sit at a table, there's plexiglass between all of us. Um, so there's many measures. You have to have your mask on when you're not eating or drinking to get through that. So we do the breakfast buffet, which I'm going to be honest, I load up on <laughs> in the morning. 
Then uh, throughout the day, there is a some restaurants here at the media center that you can go to. There are different pods uh, of stuff. There's a Western restaurant. There's some Chinese restaurants. There's uh, some goulash we found the other day. Um, so you can do that here. And then there are restaurants in all the hotels within the bubble. So every once in a while, we, we get on a bus and we go to a different hotel to see what they have maybe for dinner or switch up our breakfast uh, buffet a little bit just to get a little bit of variety out there. And let's go over one thing that's very much a part of your work life, the time difference. So here on the East Coast, if I understand it correctly, it's a 13-hour time difference. If you're based on the West Coast, it's 10 hours. But that I've traveled in Asia extensively with presidents of the United States. It's part of a big capital A adjustment, is it not? Oh, yes, it is. Absolutely. And I, I'm kind of sleeping in chunks, I would say, right now. So if I get four or five hours, I feel pretty good. There's a nap situation that happens. So I'm 13 hours from the East Coast. I'm actually 16 from the West Coast. You know, so I have my loved ones on the West Coast I'm trying to keep in touch with. Right. My mother. Dummy. No, no, it's fine. I mean, uh, believe me, I am not the person to try to do the math in that major. Um, but I, all I know is that I have my loved ones on the West Coast I'm trying to keep up with. I have my mother is in Arizona, which doesn't, you know, adhere to um, daylight saving. So I have to factor that in. She's in mountain time. My brother's in Minneapolis and then I have work on the East Coast. So trying to just balance the work schedule and trying to communicate to have some level of connection to friends and family. Um, I'm constantly doing math, which I'm not that good at. And uh, when I'm not doing math, I'm looking at Jack going, please figure this out for me. Um, the Apple iPhone, I, I will be honest, it's the, I'm not getting paid by Apple. This is not an endorsement. But the world clock feature has come in very, very handy when um, I've had to sit there and, and quickly try to do the math and just can't figure it out. So, um, But, you know, the interview situation, I think, is probably, in terms of work, the most interesting because we right now it's morning obviously i'm talking to you and it's it's evening on the east coast so everyone there is about to go to bed um and do, they don't know you know what's happened in prime time quite yet so no one knows tomorrow what they're going to want and so coordinating interviews here on the ground with people sleeping there versus here um that's a little tricky but we're we're trying to manage and that's why i'm so glad i have somebody like jack uh, who's done this for a while and, and understands this kind of stuff. So we're going to go to break here in a second, and I'm going to take us to break just because it'll be easier because I don't want to stop Jamie in mid-sentence because we have this three-and-a-half-second delay. But I'll just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what Jamie just said, you know, the shows don't know what they want. Trust me, that's got nothing to do with the time difference. All right, shows never know what they want. Or when they do, they change their mind a lot. <laughs> Jamie will laugh. That's all she's going to do. That's all she's going to do because she doesn't want to be yanked out of this assignment. I'm saying it, okay, folks? That's how it works. I'm Major Garrett, segment two of The Takeout with the brilliant Jamie Yukas in Beijing on the other side of this break. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. 
Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. The brilliant Jamie Yukas is with us. She's in Beijing covering the Winter Olympics. So, Jamie, big question be honest is this fun a little (laughs) major i think you know me well enough by now that i try to find the fun in everything and i'm a very optimistic person i try to remain in a positive frame of mind uh there is a but coming um you know as a journalist this is so hard to be in this bubble. I, it, it, you, you're driving on the bus or you're in a cab and you're looking out the window and you see a park, you see people, you want to communicate, you want to learn about the culture. I can't do it. So that part of it is not fun, if I'm honest. Um, you know, standing for my live shot in the bubble where there's literal fencing, where I feel like a caged zoo animal, that's also not fun. Um, the throat swabs in the morning, definitely not fun. Uh, working with these two guys, fun. Um, trying to find the fun in the athletics and, and watch those and really, you know, celebrate some of the great sportsmanship here. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, cautiously optimistic that we will end this on a high note. And that's an important point. I've been to one Olympics, the 84 Winter Games in Calgary, and I remember and will always remember one of the most enjoyable parts. There were two really enjoyable parts, being there on site to see the events and then hanging around the Olympic Village. I'm, so two, two questions. Do you get to go to the events themselves and what kind of access do you have? And then two, I'm sure, there, of course, there's no Olympic Village. Is there any kind of get-together opportunity at all where you feel connected to anyone outside of your zone or bubble or loop or whatever? It's a good question. I'm getting asked that a lot online, to be honest. So I am able to go to the events themselves. We went to USA Women's Hockey, played Canada uh, yesterday here in Beijing. So we went to that. We've gone to mixed doubles curling so far. So we are able to go to the events. They have a section roped off for media. We sit and we're able to watch, um, obviously, with our masks on, that type of thing. I will say some of the Team USA athletes also are nearby. So you'll run into them in the hallway. You'll be able to say hello. Um, Brianna Decker, part of Team USA um, hockey who injured herself. We ran into her in the hallway uh, yesterday and were able to have a nice conversation, uh, which is fun because I interviewed some of these athletes before coming over here. So to see them again, it's a little reunion. Um, Other than that, uh, you can meet here at the media center. You can meet at the media center up in the mountains. Um, But really it's the athletes, it's their PR people, it's the, you know, U.S. Olympic Committee people we're seeing, which um, is great. You know, you only see these people every couple years anyway at at these events, winter, you know, every four, summer every four, every two in between. So um, I feel a little privileged I got to do the Tokyo Games because it has made it easier here to recognize people from different organizations and have conversations, um, that kind of thing. But other than that, uh, you're really, you know, you're with the Media, you're with the athletes, you're with their PR people, you're with the Olympic committees themselves, and that's pretty much it. So 
Um, we're trying to talk to some of the, the workers, the volunteers here in China. Um, lots of them have very good English speaking skills. So we're trying to talk to them a little bit. Um, it's Chinese New Year. So we learned a little bit about Chinese New Year and the Year of the Dragon uh, from those different individuals. Um, and, and also learned that this is a really big time for them to be able to go home to their families. And really for them, this is a hard time because it's, it's usually you know, 15 days to a month long that they really spend all together as a family and they're not doing that because if they're in the bubble uh, volunteering or working the event um, they can't go home they stay in the bubble as well so uh, everyone here locked down in this bubble whether they are from here in China or from somewhere else and I'll tell you Jamie I'm a huge Olympics nerd I love the Olympics I will watch just about any Olympics event, you slap five rings on it, I'll watch it. That's basically my <laughs> whole theory of Olympic participation. I'll watch just about anything. And what I've noticed, and this really is hard, and it was true to a certain degree in Tokyo, the absence of crowds, especially oh. at some of these winter events. I was watching the biathlon uh, the last couple of days, proof positive that I'm an Olympics nerd, okay? And I've I remember from previous Winter Olympics, those crowds are insanely large. They know exactly what that sport is all about. They know every minute detail. They scream and yell at every appropriate moment. Knuckleheads like me are just sort of along for the ride. But the absence of crowds has to change the feel for the athletes, for the media, for the whole situation. Well, and I've had an interesting experience, right, because I had Tokyo where there were no crowds whatsoever. Here they were going to allow crowds in. Uh, they were going to allow the Chinese in. And then that got nixed once Omicron became a thing. So the people that you see from China in the stands were invited by the government. So some of them are military members. Others are part of the government family um, who are in, in the stands. But they're all Chinese, right? So unless there are athletes, and you'll see this a lot this time. I think they learned about this in Tokyo. The big thing was that if athletes in one sport go to cheer on their team in another sport, at least you have a little bit of that home crowd advantage that the hockey team is watching the curling team and the curling team is going you know, to uh, the skiing events and, and you have people kind of moving around that way to at least give some bit of cheering. But yeah, it has been really hard to watch. And you know, we as media are supposed to be unbiased and just be quiet and watch. I will tell you, I I'm, I was rooting for Team USA a little too loudly probably yesterday at the hockey game. Being from Minnesota, you know, I, uh, a lot of girls on that team are from, from Minnesota. So um, really kind of got into the, to the action there. But it, it has made it a little bit um, not as interesting. I asked a lot of the athletes, you know, how is it for you? Luckily in the winter sports, what I'm finding out is that a lot of them kind of block out the noise anyway. They listen to music. Um, you know, especially if it's an individual event like skiing, they're not really paying attention is what I was told. So they're finding it a little easier, I think, than the summer groups did in terms of the crowds. So the, the athletes themselves, I think, are navigating this probably better than those of us watching the games, waiting for that big, you know, eruption of, of cheering. So, Jamie, you've got three minutes to go to, to break because I've got a big topic for you. So you just run with it in all directions <laughs> necessary. Oh, what is the deal with the snow? The man-made oh. snow. There's no snow that actually fell from the sky. 
you are right. You are absolutely right. Um, that has been fascinating. And, and we did go up to the mountain area over this past weekend, which when I say that, it's because it's a trek to get up there. We had to take a bus to the train, take the train. It's an hour long. Get up there, take a bus into the, um, the ski resort area where it is all man-made snow. In the month of February in the mountain region, they only get two days of precipitation. So I think what's jarring to people is you're seeing those huge snowy you know one side of the mountain for competition and everything else is brown that's how it's supposed to be here that's why a lot of people question why the olympics were happening here in beijing i will tell you there's been a couple athletes a little outspoken about not liking the artificial snow um, that if you fall on it it's pretty hard it can be very glassy um, and a little bit tough to compete on so you know there's been a lot of talk about team usa wow you know they're, they're kind of a slow start here but if you talk to some of the skiers and snowboarders it's not just factoring now the wind conditions um, and some of those other factors that they have to think about are the cloudiness versus how sunny it is. But they also have to think about the fact that they're competing on that artificial snow, um, which is interesting as well, because in terms of the environment uh, and climate change, the reason you, you're not getting snow there is because of climate change. And they're saying that producing that snow is actually impacting in a negative way the environment because of the amount of water they need to use. So Chinese are hoping that it melts and goes back into the reservoirs. But We'll have to wait until it warms up here to see if that happens. It is in the teens up there, too. It's very, very, very cold. Very cold. So you could get snow. It's just not happening. So one statistic I read, Jamie, 49 million gallons of fresh water required for the snowmaking purposes for these Olympics. A staggering number. It is. Absolutely. And does it... Is there much snow around where you are, or is it basically just where the athletes need it? Is where you're walking basically snow-free? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of funny. They they did have some snow probably a week before we got here. So every once in a while we'll go, oh, there's a little patch. Oh, look at that little patch. Um, but no, there's no – here in Beijing, everything is pretty brown. Um, you know, it looks like the dead of winter uh, without any snow. So, yeah, when you go up to the mountain regions too, you can see just a couple little clumps here and there around the ski resort. What's interesting is that the media center up there is usually a ski resort. Um, it's very posh and beautiful. So the, the media that gets to be up there the whole time is having a lovely uh, experience. But really, the snow that you're seeing is the only snow that the athletes are competing on, uh, except for a couple clumps here and there. A couple of clumps here and there. Jamie Yukas is our special guest. She's in Beijing. More on the conversation about the Olympics. We're going to talk about China and whether or not she feels in any way restricted in what she can do or where she can go beyond COVID restrictions. All that and more on Major Garrett's segment three of the takeout in just one second. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I referred in segment two to the fact that I've been to one Winter Olympics, the 84 games in Calgary, and I will give you this description of what, it's, what it was for me to watch the bobsled and the luge. It's a great sport on television, folks. When you watch it at home, it's really, really fun. When you're there in person, it's like watching a bullet being shot through a freezer. Okay, that's what it's like. You're on a corner, 
and here comes the luge, or here comes the bobsled, and you hear it coming, and then the bullet goes through the freezer, and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> you don't see, I mean, it's like, what, 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 what happened? So a lot of this stuff is better on television. It's better from your living room. It's better on your massive HD TV. Jamie, for you, covering it as a reporter, are you watching as much on TV at the media center as you are in person? Yeah, I would say we're probably watching a little bit more just because of the logistics of, you know, we're watching a lot of the skiing and snowboarding on the TVs in here. Um, the ice skating has been at times that have been a little tricky for us to watch. So um, we're trying to make it to as many events as we can. But yeah, we're watching a lot of it on TV or our iPad or our phone trying to log in and see it. Um, if, if America plays the Chinese, it's great because it's on television here locally um, and that becomes the easiest. But um, yeah, I, I, we're watching it just like everybody else. And do you feel the presence of either Chinese government officials or censors? Do you feel any sort of shadowing presence around your journalism covering these games? Um, you know, that's a really interesting question because you kind of play in your mind a little bit, right? Everybody tells themselves stories about, about things um, based on the information that you're receiving visually and, and through communication. I will tell you where we do our live shots. There are a number of security guards um, who are down there and they walk the fence line and you can tell that they're paying attention to what you're doing. The night of the opening ceremonies, you know very well, Major Garrett, that there is a live view pack is what it's called that, that sends a signal up into the sky and that's how we are able to now talk to you right now um, and we had a number of those security guards uh, come over and take a look at our live view unit see what we were doing you know I don't I maybe they're just curious I don't know you know I, I don't want to tell myself a story in that um, I can tell you in the media center you have a lot of volunteers walking around you know trying to guide you to different things I don't feel like they you know nobody's come to me and said you need to present it this way or you can't say this I think we were all pretty well versed and talked about the things that we would talk about and not talk about as a group. We have burner phones with us, burner computers with us. I did not bring my personal cell phone with me at all um, because I was told of the security concerns here. I have family and friends who have traveled to China in the past who said just don't bring it, it's not worth it. Um, the one thing that has happened, and look, I don't, I don't know what's true, but Jack and I, my producer, uh, one day were talking about the fact that we really needed more bottled water in our room. Um, we were just talking in the hotel um, to ourselves, and all of a sudden the next day when cleaning came, we both had 12 bottles of water in our room. So I, I have to believe that there are people listening. Wow. Um, so I'm sure, you know, in this conversation, who knows what will get picked up. I'm a little irritated. I keep talking about the fact that I'd like more chocolate bars in my mini fridge. Uh, they have not replenished those. So, I, so there's some things they're listening to in terms of water. Maybe not with the chocolate bars. I don't know. Maybe I'm telling myself a story. I don't know. Uh, maybe, try, maybe try, you know, for the live view to work better. It needs gold bouillon. <laughs> Give that a try. Maybe, maybe I like that. <laughs> so, so um, for our audience uh, who has possibly been tuning in or reading about the games, so far we're not at the halfway point yet. When most of you hear this show, it'll be over the weekend, so we will be at the halfway point. Just so you know, we're recording it a couple of days early, but a couple of athletes have made headlines there. Uh, who have American and Chinese either citizenship or deep relationships. Walk us through those stories, Jamie, if you'd be so kind. 
Well, you know, you have Eileen Gu, who yesterday just did phenomenally in uh, her sport. And, and uh, Jack, can you remind me, Eileen Gu, the sport off the top of my head? Uh, we are sleep deprived here. Um, big Air. Big Air. Big Air. Sorry. Yes. You're, you, you, that was freestyle slopes. Big Air. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. She did amazing, right? I mean, it, she did the 1620 move. People, you know, people were just cheering about her. She, amazing, amazing um, performance there. And she's somebody who says, when I'm in China, I, I consider myself Chinese. And when I'm in America, I consider myself American. Her mother uh, is from China. But she's gotten a lot of blowback in the United States. And then the opposite is true with the figure skater, um, whose name is now escaping me. I apologize. Uh, but there is a figure skater here uh, as well who... Um, is competing for China. That's why Jack is there. Yeah, Jack, uh, he, he's waving me off. He, he's done. <laughs> so, this is great producing, this, this right here. This is up. my favorite. This is, this is it. Um, so uh, he's like, you don't know it, I don't know. It's fine. Um, you know, but she fell, and she has taken just a beating online here in China um, on their social media platforms, which is really, you know, when you think about it, it's really too bad. You may remember uh, there was a lot of discussion in Tokyo with some of the Chinese athletes in terms of table tennis. You know, Japan beat China, and and um, many here in China really just beat up that team. They won silver, and they acted like that was horrible, um, which is just interesting, I think, culturally, because you have this country is like you have to win gold or it's nothing, and we're talking to a number of American athletes who are going, you know what? It's okay. We just we're here to have fun, and if we medal, we medal, and it's great. The figure skater's name is Zhu Yi. Oh, Zhu Yi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing my work for me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. Um, what other stories so far? And and for the audience, I'll give you a date check. I said so here, just so you understand. I'm always transparent on the show because we have to tape it lots of different times. Jamie's been kind enough to stay up eat into her chunk of sleep time and nap time so i'm deeply appreciative so it's tuesday february 8th that we're recording this so <laughs> when she said yesterday that's a reference to february 7th if you're tracking at home yes there we go so uh what other stories so far jamie have caught your eye and what are you looking for if anything as the games continue well, that's, I have to tell you, I had so much fun meeting so many um, athletes before I left to come here. We did a, a number of profiles that I'm really proud of. Um, so uh, Alyssa Liu, she's this young teenage figure skater competing for the United States. She's 16 years old. She's adorable. Um, we aired her story a few days ago. You can find it online. But she, you know, she told me she listens to Doja Cat to get herself uh, pumped up. She, she's disabled her Instagram comments and social media comments because she just doesn't like the negativity. She's really got a good head on her shoulders. I'm super excited to see her compete. Um, we also talked to Jesse Diggins, the cross-country skier, who is just, this girl gets a gold medal for enthusiasm. She's amazing. She is strong. She is such a good role model for young women. Um, she won a bronze yesterday, uh, which and actually set a world record for the Americans. Uh, that's how good uh, some of the Scandinavian teams are, because uh, they came in, you know, three to ten seconds ahead of her um, or more. 
So uh, she's amazing. She she really uh, she talked a lot about the fact that she's had demons. She had an eating disorder that she had to overcome. And I think it really goes to show kind of the complexities of a lot of these athletes. We profile the women's hockey team, which, as I said to you, I'm uh, I'm cheering for I, the women on that team. They really are dedicated to each other. You have the first uh, native um, indigenous woman playing hockey for for the women's hockey team for wearing a United States jersey. Great story. Her dad's Canadian. She said, "Sorry, Dad, I'm competing for America. I'm going with Mom." Um, so we love that. Uh, we've got that coming up. We also have the men's curling team, which, if you don't know their story, I cannot wait to present it to you. It sounds like it is happening on Monday, February 14th, which is perfect. It's Valentine's Day, and I have a love affair with this uh, with the curling team. Um, nerd alert! That's one of my favorite sports here at the winter. Olympics. Um, but they, you know, they've had a really rocky road of getting here and, and won in 2018 and they're ready to come back. You've got guys with tattoos and mustaches and just great characters. So we'll be profiling that. And then on a serious note, we are going to be talking about the mental health of athletes and kind of the change within uh, the Olympic Committee, talking to the doctors that have established um, some mental health programs and making sure that athletes know that they don't have to be in crisis in order to get help, that they can uh, turn to therapists and other professional mental health professionals to talk about just some of the everyday struggles, which I think has become very evident when you look at somebody like uh, Vincent Joe, the figure skater who tested positive for COVID after competing uh, in the team event and then learning he couldn't go on to compete. Uh, it's very emotional online talking about just, you know, trying to get here, getting here, and then not being able to go through it. Um, but saying to himself, you know, this doesn't make you any less of a skater. He clearly has, uh, you know, a good head on his shoulders and has been talking um, to the mental health professionals uh, here that are available. And I think it's really important because I think we in the past have always thought of athletes, especially at this level of, of the kind of people who are resilient and they just need to suck it up and get through it. And I think Michael Phelps, Simone Biles changed that narrative. And you really have a generation of athletes now at a time where the country is talking about mental health, uh, especially with COVID, that I think there's more understanding and empathy around it. And, and it makes them, what, I, what they've told me, the athletes, is it's made them better at their performance. So it'll be interesting to see how that conversation um, transpires, takes place, and then where we go from there. The Olympics in part are about myths making, and one of the enduring myths that I'm glad is cracking up is the idea of Olympian invincibility, and they're not. They're real people with true, real traumas and real experiences, and that's now coming to the surface as well it should. More with our conversation with Jamie Yukis Jamie from Beijing and the Winter Olympics. I'm Major Garrett, segment for The Takeout, in just one moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. So, Jamie, uh, Jamie Yukas is our special guest. She's in Beijing covering the Winter Olympics. Uh, you talked at great length and in rich detail, Jamie, about the various protocols, the testing, the sort of heavyweight regime to deal with COVID around these Winter Olympics and the media covering it. Have you witnessed or been near someone who's in fact tested positive? And if so, what happened? 
Yeah, there's been two incidents we've uh, we've witnessed here. One was at the media center where I am right now uh, last weekend, where we watched a journalist. Uh, there are these men in hazmat suits who come up and they went to him and, and took him and carted him away, uh, put him in an ambulance, let him know apparently that he tested positive uh, for COVID, and he goes off to isolation. Um, we so we saw that happen here at the media center. There was also uh, just yesterday for us um, here in Beijing. Every morning we go down, we do a throat swab, um, and the results supposedly come back sometime in the afternoon. That appears to have what happened yesterday to this young woman who, um, you know, suddenly an ambulance shows up at the closed loop entrance of our hotel. Ambulance sits there. There are men in hazmat suits who go up. Uh, she apparently packs a bag. She comes down. Uh, she walks through the lobby and she goes into the ambulance to isolation and had tested positive for COVID. Um, it's unnerving, I will tell you, because the whole idea of this bubble is that they will catch the majority of the cases at the airport. The idea is then you might have a few people a day or two after travel who test positive for COVID, supposedly with the Omicron variant, you know, 36 to 48 hours after uh, exposure. So this, you know, we've been here a week now. So this, this woman in our hotel room, you know, was taken yesterday after testing positive. Could it have been a false positive? Did she come in later than maybe some of the other people in our hotel? We don't know. They're not giving us any information. But you think about, you do eat at a breakfast buffet. The gym is open uh, to people. I don't know if I worked out in the gym with her or if she was there before me, used the equipment. Um, it's a little unnerving because each day you're here, you start to feel safer that if everybody's in this bubble, you know, supposedly each day that goes by, you should feel a little bit more relaxed. But you watch that happen. And we've heard stories about, you know, some of the conditions at the hotels that people are isolating or having to go to the hospital, the meals. Um, and I think that's in the back of our mind. That's that's the worst case scenario. Um, we all want to do a good job here. Uh, we want to be able to cover the Olympics and we also want to be able to go home. And what you just described, Jamie, sounds like a low level horror movie. I mean, someone is sitting next to you, they're a journalist, they're a working person, and then hazmat-suited people walk up and, as you said, cart them away. I mean, it sounds to me like you're more afraid of a positive test and the overreaction to it than the actual underlying virus, because I'm going to make an assumption. You didn't get in there until you had proof of vaccination and boosting, right? Oh, absolutely. You had to be vaccinated. You had to be boosted. I had to have two um, COVID approved tests by facilities that were approved by the Chinese government before I was able to board my plane. I was temperature checked on the plane. When I landed, I had a nasal swab and a throat swab. And now I've had throat swabs every day that I've been here. Every morning I have to enter in, in my health app, uh, my temperature, and if I have any COVID uh, symptoms. And yes, I think what you just said uh, is completely true. Um, um, you know, here in China, if people have been paying attention, if one city has one or two or 10 cases, they lock down the entire city. So for those of us sitting in this hotel to watch someone get carted away um, in the manner that they did and know that if this was happening outside the bubble, that the entire hotel would be locked down, uh, we are able to, you know, continue to do our jobs, which is great. But there is that fear of, you know, what's next. And as you said, uh, one of the journalists did describe it as as an out of body kind of horror movie experience just being carted away. And I will tell you, it is a little unnerving. There are a number of uh, workers that are in full hazmat at all times. So you get to the airport, 
full hazmat gear. You're at the hotel, full hazmat gear. And you, and you watch, um, you know, as that's happening. And I, the first couple of days, it's very jarring as to, you know, where am I? It's full PPE, which in the United States we're not used to. Um, so they're very stringent and strict on everybody wearing their masks. Uh, they have to be KN95 or N95, no cloth masks, no medical grade masks. So they take it extremely seriously. And I think that's why we've been concerned. I, I, to be honest, I am vaccinated. I'm boosted. I'm healthy. I work out. I feel like if I, I for, thank the Lord, I have not caught COVID in the two years uh, since the pandemic began. Uh, I'm grateful for that, but I do feel if I were to catch it, I don't think it would be that big a problem, except that I would like to go home and not end up in an isolation facility here in China. And you mentioned a couple of times, Jamie, you work out. When you go to the gym there, what are the protocols there? It's interesting. Um, they sterilize, uh, they have a sign up that says, you know, this, this gym has been cleaned and sterilized at whatever time. They seem to do it once an hour. Um, you do have to call and make a reservation, is what they call it. Uh, to me, it seems like they want to make sure that they know who was in the gym at what time to do contact tracing if someone were to test positive uh, later. So um, I wore my mask the first four days I was there and had the staff come up to me and tell me, you don't need to wear your mask in, in the gym. Um, I did take it off the last couple days because I felt like I was five days in. Um, we do a lot of us who do work out in the gym open the windows. The equipment is spaced pretty far apart. But I will tell you after what happened, uh, I will be wearing my mask again in the gym and uh, hopeful that the ventilation in there is, is, is good with the windows open. And um, I in the United States have not worked out in a gym the entire pandemic. I go for runs, I have some weights at home, I try to do yoga on, you know, through apps and different things. But um, I, I actually was kind of, <laughs> this sounds so silly, but it was like one of the exciting pieces about being in this bubble was that I felt like I could actually work out in a gym and feel safe and I think after yesterday I started questioning is that really the case um, you know so we'll see Jamie we've got a minute 30 before I need to close out the show uh, for our radio audience tell them why you love curling <laughs> well you know I love a good story and I love a good character like most of us in this business right because we're storytellers and this the men's curling team specifically they have the nickname the rejects uh, John, you know, who you, you saw at the opening ceremonies, John Schuster, uh, lives in Superior, Wisconsin, across the border from Duluth, Minnesota, which I'm very familiar with. He, uh, he for years, you know, tried to get on the Olympic team. He got rejected off of the main team at one point. They call him the rejects. He builds the team he wants. He wins the golds, first ever gold medal for the United States in curling in 2018. He's back and his team is just full. Matt Hamilton, you know, has got that mustache going on. Chris supplies has the the tattoo sleeves and you know this is a game where they they call it you know it's a mental game they call it the chess on ice you know um they compare the mental strategy to golf having to that intensity um and and you know trying to figure out how to how to get things um get that you know huge um oh my gosh what's the thing called the rock the rock the 40 pound rock i got a i got a lesson in it and uh the rock the rock yes um you know at throwing that down the ice and i just I, the whole thing's fun and also um it turns out when i got my lesson i'm actually pretty good at it so i feel like you know maybe this is a sport i could end up pursuing which is cool all i can say about that ladies and gentlemen is stay tuned 
to Jamie Ucas's career on the U.S. curling team. Just stay tuned. For our radio audience, I need to say farewell. <laughs> for those watching on CBS News streaming and listening on the podcast platform, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. More with Jamie Ucas from Beijing. I'll see you next week. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett coming to you from the home office here at the Washington, D.C. Bureau of CBS News, joined by the brilliant Jamie Ucas, who is in Beijing covering the Winter Olympics. So, Jamie, before we get to any more Olympic stuff, i got to cover the three threshold questions with you. So take as much time as you need on these three questions. As to every single guest of The Takeout, we are now in our sixth year. So take these questions in whichever order you prefer. Most influential book in your life, favorite movie, or one of your all-time favorite movies, and you're going to be flying back from Beijing, so that's a long flight. What kind of music, artist or genre, because you're really going to get into your music on that long flight, are you most likely to listen oh, to? Oh, man, I feel like people are going to be so disappointed in all my answers. You, you set me up saying I'm brilliant, and now I'm going to give you like the worst answers ever to these three questions, because I'm so boring when it comes to this stuff. I, uh, I need to tell you, I am terrible at movies. Like, I've never seen The Godfather. I haven't seen Star Wars. I've never seen Indiana Jones. Every time I go to watch a movie, um, I fall asleep within like five to 10 minutes of the movie. I disappoint everyone in my life by that. Um, but I think if I had to choose a favorite movie, I love The Shawshank Redemption. Um, just has all, I don't know, all the human mm -hmm. pieces of it and, you know, the... You don't know if he really killed his wife or not. I, I just, I, and I love Morgan Freeman, you know, um, great movie. So I, I can watch that one over and over again. And so there's that end of the spectrum. And then I love like, you know, um, The Little Mermaid. I think I watched Tom and Jerry on the flight here. So that's, that's you know, that's my spectrum. Uh, I finally watched Die Hard at Christmas. <laughs> so I've- That's a good yeah. spectrum. <laughs> you know, I'm a little, a little all yes. over the place. Um, in terms of my favorite- it, 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 Die Hard, Die Hard. Di Die Hard, Die Hard counts as a Doesn't Christmas it? movie. I feel like I now understand what people are talking about. And what I really liked about yes. it is I, for every year, I watch um, Love Actually as my favorite Christmas movie. And, but I always hated that Alan Rinkin was so mean to Lily Tomlin. So now if you watch Love Actually and then you watch Die Hard, you're like, he got what was coming to him. So I love, do that if you need to next year. It's, it's great. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is a double right? feature. Uh, my favorite, most influential book. Uh, that's really hard. I really do love reading. And um, I, I've, in the last few years, I've kind of settled into to reading just a lot more um, kind of, I, I guess it would be like the self-help genre, memoirs of people, um, uh, you know, different uh, public, like I love Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle. I love all those books. Um, but I think in terms of the most influ influential, The Glass Castle 
um, I think would probably be my favorite. Um, it's about a, a, a young, it's about a woman who is a journalist and she grows up in an alcoholic family. Um, and very poor. They made it into a movie. I actually never, again, going back to movies, I never saw the movie. Absolutely love the book. Um, and, you know, there, there were some things that I identified with in that book. So um, I love that one. Um, and then in terms of music, I am like, I'm all over the place. So I played the trumpet, which a lot of people don't know, for like 10 years. So I really like jazz. Um, but I, you know, when, when Alyssa Liu, the figure skater here said Doja Cat, I was like, oh yeah, I'm into Doja Cat. Um, so I'm a little all over the place in terms of that kind of stuff too. Uh, Jack has made me listen to the oldies, um, a couple times. Uh, what, what were we listening to last night? Otis Redding and, uh, Buddy Holly, yep. I think for a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I can get into a little bit of everything, um, you know, I like pop music. I, I got to be honest, I'm probably pretty boring. If, I'm, if I've got that flight home, probably going to start with some pop music and go from there. Is, is there a jazz song you've played on the trumpet to your satisfaction? Mm. Oh, that's a hard question. No, I used to play with my grandfather when he was alive, uh, and he would try to get me into you know, a lot of the classics, but I, I haven't played in so long. I'd have to think about that. Can I get back? Can we do this again? I'll get back to you. Maybe I'll maybe I'll bring it out. We'll see if I can get back into it. We can do this again. You can you can definitely put that put that put that answer put that answer on one of your Instagram posts about uh, your day at the buffet, and we'll just we'll just meld those two Perfect. things together. How Perfect. about that? Little Coltrane, maybe. Yeah. Oh, always Coltrane. Always Miles. Always Coltrane. Always Dizzy. Always Ornette. I'm a huge yeah. jazz fan. I can listen to jazz. Oh, that's always my answer to that question, by the way. So before I let you go, Jamie. Uh, and Randy and Jack, uh, both of whom I know and worked alongside, they're fantastic people. Just promise me this. There will be a snowball fight, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how you have to scramble to find some wretched little patch of snow. Just tell me there's going to be a snowball fight before you get out of there. This girl from Minnesota can make that happen. I will, we will figure that out, and I will, I'll send you the video. Very good. Jamie Yukis in Beijing at the Winter Olympics. Thanks so much for spending, spending time with us. Folks, this is your Takeout Outtake Especial. Back, next, back with you next week. This is Major Garrett signing off. See you next week. Bye. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. 
Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.